You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. 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 Thank you, Suzanne. So we're in week two of this series on living free. And if you were asking anybody if you want to live free, they're going to say yes, aren't they? Right? Do you want to live free today? Yes. We want freedom. We love freedom. Our culture embraces freedom, and we want it. But oftentimes, we're confused about what freedom looks like. See, sometimes when we think about freedom, we think about freedom being like this child that is set loose in a field, and they can just kind of run free, right? And they're just kind of running around and going. But the problem is, is that sometimes at the end of that field, there's a cliff. Or sometimes as you're running across that field, sometimes there's, there's, there's holes that you fall into. Being a kid who's run across many fields, I've jumped off cliffs, I've twisted my ankle in holes because I had freedom. And sometimes there's even snakes, there's predators out there that they see a child running, thinking they have freedom, but they're really running into a trap and they're ready to be pounced on. This is not the picture of freedom. The picture of freedom that I like is the one that Dallas Willard gives us. Theologian Dallas Willard, he gives us this picture of freedom, and he describes it like when he goes to a concert and he sees this virtuoso pianist just in front of a piano, just playing to their heart's content. Playing to their heart's content. But the first time that that virtuoso got in front of the piano, it wasn't easy, was it? How many of you, you were forced to take piano lessons as a child? And you're like, that was the most amazing memory in my life. See, when you first sit in front of a piano or you sit in front of any instrument, you immediately begin to realize that this amazing instrument that has potential to make incredible music, all 88 notes are here, it doesn't happen just like this. It takes discipline. It takes someone to come in and to teach you and to coach you. That The first time that I bellied up to the piano, I love playing piano, but when I first went in, my parents would literally drag me off of the streets playing street hockey, which we know is the will of the Lord. It's the first, hey, don't destroy the messenger this morning, okay? My, pa- my mom would faithfully pull me off the streets from playing street hockey, and I would go to my lessons crying, but I'm so glad that she did because I also had this desire to play piano, to study it. But I had to go through years and years of learning to play the scales, learning how to read music before I could sit in front of a piano and have freedom. Do you know what I'm talking about today? Because there's great potential in a piano, and there's great potential in your life, but freedom doesn't just happen. Freedom takes discipline. It takes that walking through it. It takes what the Bible calls the gospel to bring us freedom, because God made us free, but we've been enslaved by sin. We've been enslaved by so many traps, but God made a way through the gospel, and that's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the simplicity of the gospel, that he said, you can now be free. We've been talking about it, and we talked about that last week. And last week we talked about how the gospel was being threatened because they were trying to add to the gospel. They were saying, Jesus is good, but you also need to do all this other stuff as well. And now in week two, as you look at Galatians 2, now we're coming to what is one of the ultimate tests, and it's the ultimate test that was in Paul's day, and it's still the biggest test that we have today. And I believe that big test in front of us is the friendship test, isn't it? We give our life to Christ, we find Jesus as our Savior, But then we start going to our friends. 
and we immediately hit this test. How many of you have experienced that or you've found people who've done that? They found this beauty of the Lord, but they start getting around their friends and things all of a sudden don't seem to make sense or things become very difficult. And we start to wonder, is it really true? Because see, our greatest desire that we have is we have a desire to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to have friends. That's why Facebook is such a big hit. Now we can all have 3,000 friends. We want to be accepted. We want to put a picture up. We want everybody to like it. There's so much joy in that. But if that's where we find our greatest freedom, if that's where we find our greatest level of acceptance, at some point it's going to come up short in our lives. And so now this week as we look at Galatians 2, we find that Paul is building the foundation that I believe heads into this greatest desire that we all, we want to be friends. We want to get along. We want to have this wonderful community. But Paul is saying that the freedom that's afforded to us, it is only found in the gospel. It is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who made us. And so he begins his foundation, and he starts off at the very beginning of this by outlining one key principle of the gospel, that is, freedom is for everyone. Freedom is for everyone. See, Christianity, it started with the Jews. Jesus and his disciples, they were Jews. And in Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But the gospel expanded then to the Gentiles. And Paul here in Galatians chapter 2, he outlines his strategy for expanding the reach of the gospel by saying that Peter, the, one, of the, one of the original 12 disciples, his assignment was to bring the gospel to the Jews. And for Paul, his primary assignment was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles because the gospel is for everybody because God wants us all to be free. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus came to set us free. And so the strategy was to get it out. And even in this chapter in Galatians 2, we see one of the other key strategies that Paul uses and that we all need to use as disciples of Christ is that Paul reached out and he brought along Titus, a Gentile, with him. See, when Paul brought people with him, that signified a relationship, that signified a partnership. Paul is going out, spreading the good news, talking about the gospel, and he reaches out and takes Titus, a Gentile man, to bring along with him to disciple him. Because when Jesus said, go and make disciples, what he meant was, as you are going, make disciples. It's wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, in your home, at work, in your neighborhood, at the coffee house, when you're watching the the, the best sport in the world, hockey, you bring people along with you, and people are there for it. You didn't get that joke. That's okay. (laughs) This is what it means. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying that if you want acceptance, It is only found through Jesus Christ because that's the only foundation that we can stand on to find this freedom that is afforded through everyone is only found in the gospel. This is the model of Jesus. And Paul also in Galatians 2.6, he outlines a key attribute of God. A key attribute of God which if it was ever more relevant, we find the relevance of this today. And this is the attribute that God has of impartiality. Paul says that God shows no partiality. How many of you would love to see that in every sphere of our society today? God shows no partiality. 
There's no longer male or female. There's no longer Greek or Jew, free or slave, rich or poor. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Think about that. People have given their lives for that. But Jesus gave his life for it and made it possible. But it is only through the gospel. See, this is true freedom. This is the freedom of God. So freedom is for everybody. But then Paul comes in here and he's saying that, you know what? Freedom is not only for everybody, but freedom needs to be protected. Because freedom will always be attacked. And this is what he says. He outlines this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, when Paul says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, Paul is showing us, he's outlining us, that there were spies infiltrating the Galatians. And see, when we talk about spies, spies refers to somebody who's from the outside, someone who does not have a motive for us, but a motive for themselves. It's someone from a group that is threatened by what you're doing. When spies are sent into an area, they're going in to try to see, is there a weakness? Is there a place in here that we can come in and infiltrate and take what they have or make them like us? This is what spies do. And Paul, in this passage, he's also using the words that are very key when he says, false brothers. See, false brothers is a military metaphor, and it's used to indicate the subversive and militant nature of the evil that Paul was fighting. And in this situation, the false brothers were the Judaizers that we talked about last week, right? The Judaizers who were loyal to the law of Judaism and not the gospel. They were saying it's Jesus plus all the laws of Moses, This is what we talked about last week. And so Paul is exposing their threat to the gospel, and he identifies them and calls them out by calling them spies and identifies their covert mission to overthrow the gospel. But he also identifies the method and the way that they're going about it. Because their main method of coming in was the method of infection. Infection. Now, what do you think about when you think about the word infection? If you've been to the dentist, you think about a tooth infection. Does that feel very good? No. But we love our dentists, don't we? We thank God for them. See, an effective method to destroy something is not to simply go in and take it. But a very effective method is to go in and actually infect it. We know that an infection left unattended will take over and will ultimately kill the host. See, the best lie always has some truth in it. Because when somebody tells a lie to you, if there's a little bit of truth in you, then deep inside, because you want to believe them because they're a friend of yours, you're like, well, there's a little bit of truth in there. Maybe it's okay. Maybe I don't need to resist it. This is what infection does. It just puts in those little seeds that will ultimately destroy us. So Paul sees this, he identifies it, and to confront this head-on, what does Paul do? Paul goes right to the top in that context, and he goes right to Peter. He goes right to Peter. In Galatians 2.11, it says, But when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, he says, I opposed him to his face. To his face, because Peter stood condemned. 
So Paul is referencing the situation where he sees Peter, he sees what's going on, and he goes to the top because he sees this infection that's talking about, and he goes right to him. Because see, when there's a problem in a community, what do you do to solve it? You go right to the leader, you go right to the top, and this is what Paul is doing. Because Paul recognizes that a leader is responsible for leading in the right direction, but they're also responsible to protect those that they serve. When someone is leading a community in whatever sphere it is, at work, at at the job, in a church, wherever, a leader is responsible for leading in the right direction, but a leader is also responsible to protect. Hebrews 13 says this when it says, A leader's work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. This is what a leader does. This is why James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged by a greater strictness. There's a responsibility with leaders because leaders can lead in the right direction or they can take an entire organization, an entire family, an entire group and lead them in the wrong direction. Have you ever experienced that and seen that? And you went, why are we going this way? Leadership is very important. Fortunately, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he shows us how to lead. And Jesus defined leadership. And how did Jesus define leadership? He defined it in Matthew 23 when he said, The greatest among you shall be your servant. And then in Matthew 20, Jesus continues this thought by saying, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, leaders are those who serve. If you want to see the greatest leaders in any organization, they're the ones who are serving. They're the ones who are talking. They're the ones who are helping. They're the ones who are coming along. They're the ones that walk down a hallway and they see a piece of paper and they pick it up and they put it in the trash. They care. They serve. They look for those opportunities. They model that culture. And this is where Peter was being challenged. And the challenge that Paul was issuing to Peter here is that Peter... You're serving your own interest. The interest that we all have, which is to self-protect. How many of you struggle with protecting yourself? Again, those of you who are new, this is my confessional booth here, and you're all listening. (laughs) Are you like me, and you struggle to protect yourself because sometimes you step out and you get hurt, and then you're like, I don't want to be hurt anymore. Am I the only one who feels that way? Okay, thank you. We all want that, don't we? We all live by that law of, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I've been fooled many times. But it's that whole idea of we are not about self-protection here. And he's calling him out on it. See, Peter was entrusted to bring the gospel to the Jews. And Peter In this situation now, instead of being an influencer, he was being influenced by the Jews, by by flip-flopping based on the crowd that he was around. And here's what Paul says. He looks at Peter and he confronts me because he says, Peter, when you're with the Gentiles, you're very happy to sit at their table. You're very happy to go and eat with them. And this was a big deal for a Jew because Jews, especially in that day, they were not allowed to eat with Gentiles because they had all these laws about what they could eat and who they could be with. And the Gentiles were seen as being unclean people, and they did not eat kosher food. 
And Peter, when the Jews went around, he was happy to be there. He was like, hey, guys, this is awesome. I love this. And he was sitting down talking with them because we know around a table, that's where a lot of those deep conversations happen even today, don't they? And he was engaging with them. But Paul was saying, you're great when the Jews aren't there, but when the Jews come around, now all of a sudden you start distancing yourself from them. You start pulling back from them. See, Peter had fallen into the trap of trying to please others. And Peter was falling in this trap, even though it had been dealt with. Back in Acts 10, he had this vision to where God spoke to him, and God said, Peter, don't call anything that I've made clean unclean. And God made the way for him. But now he's falling into this trap, trying to please others, trying to work this out. But we need to remember what we learned last week, is that when we walk down the path of trying to just please others instead of God, we are walking down a cursed path. That's a cursed path. Because, see, when we fall into this scenario, nobody wins. Have you ever walked in this path where you're just trying to please everybody? trying to make mom happy, make dad happy, make your sisters, your brothers happy, your friends happy, and you're just walking around and you're just trying to make peace for everybody. What happens in that scenario? No one's happy in that scenario. And here with Peter, no one was happy because the Gentiles, they felt betrayed because they're like, oh, Peter, when it's just us, you're happy to be our friend. But when the Jews come around, then you want to go off and be good with them. And then when he tries to please the Jews, the Jews are like, oh, Peter, you want to be with us, but yet we heard that you're eating with those guys. So the Gentiles felt betrayed, the Judaizers, they felt betrayed, and even along the way, there were others that were even hurt. We have this young disciple, Barnabas, who was being led astray because of what Peter was doing. When we operate in this way, it's not just others who feel betrayed, but now we start actually leading younger people off track. So the Gentiles aren't happy, the Judaizers aren't happy, Barnabas is being led astray, and Peter, he must have been exhausted. Have you ever done that and just felt exhausted? You're like, nobody's happy, and who does everybody hate? They hate me. I'm trying to help everybody. I'm trying to be the peacemaker here. How many of you have ever been in that, in that spot? I know some of you have been out there doing that, or you've tried to do that. It doesn't work. You can't make everybody happy. Moms have discovered this for centuries. I think that's why my mom was like, she just drew a line. (laughs) And you knew when mom said no, it was a no. Nobody's happy in that. So Paul confronts Peter for the sake of the gospel, but he also confronts Peter for the sake of Peter. He's like, Peter, you're walking down a cursed path here. See, the gospel can never be compromised. And he even says that if it's If the gospel is compromised, then the gospel ceases to exist, and Christ died for nothing. We don't compromise the gospel. We don't try just to please people. We please God and God alone. And Peter needed to be brought back on track like many of us, I believe, today. See, Peter's responsibility was to bring the gospel to the Jews, the pure, simple grace and truth of the gospel to bring in. But Peter was facing real pressure. Because, see, he was facing pressure to please those around him, but it wasn't just pressure like sometimes like what I would experience in junior high where if I don't do what they want, then maybe they won't like me or maybe they won't be my friend or maybe they won't invite me to all of their little parties. Peter was experiencing real pressure. See, previously, persecution had broken out in Jerusalem from Herod Agrippa I, 
And Herod had already executed James, one of the original 12, and the brother of John. And Peter, during this persecution, he was hunted down and thrown into prison, and the Jews plotted to kill him. So Peter was experiencing much more than just the social pressure or even this emotional pressure. Peter had been hunted down and placed in prison, and his very life was on the line. But through this process, even in jail, Peter was miraculously rescued by an angel of God. How many of you love when angels of God show up in your life? This was Peter being sold out for the gospel, hunted down, facing execution, and an angel of God shows up. One theologian believes that Peter may have been carried off into this hypocritical behavior of flip-flopping because really he was just trying to avoid another outbreak of persecution. See, sometimes we try to please everybody and we have good motives. Have you ever had a great motive for a very wrong action in your life? I have. Most great actions can point back to, well, I had a good motive here, but his motive was off. Because, see, peace was not his mission. Peace was not his mission. Who's the Prince of Peace? Jesus Christ, he's the Prince of Peace. He's the Savior. And when we try to fulfill the role of being a Savior, we are terrible saviors. Do you know who the worst Savior in the room is today? Pastor Dwayne. I am not your Savior. Only Jesus is the Savior. We point to him, we lead to him, we follow Christ, and we say, follow me as I follow Christ. But we can never get in that role of being Savior. We can never fall in that role of getting a direction from God when God says, okay, Dwayne, start walking that way, and then we turn off our ears and we just go and we develop our own plan. When God leads us, he directs us step by step, breath by breath, moment by moment, because that's what discipleship is. Because it's not just destination driven, it's right now driven. What is God speaking to you right now? God's going to call you to some incredibly difficult areas, and he's going to show you where it is. But if our ears are not turned on, if our heart is not open to his Holy Spirit, we will fail. You may arrive there, but nobody will be there with you. You may arrive there, but along the way, you may mislead other people like Peter did with Barnabas along the way, and they'll be hurt and misled and confused. Following Christ is a moment by moment, and for me, I'm like, thank God. He's the Savior. He's the leader. He's the one who instructs us and guides us bit by bit. Because if not, we'll fall into this trap that we'll hit conflict, and we'll go, wait a minute, God, you called me to this place, and now there's conflict. How can this be you? The thing that I constantly remind myself of is that peace is not the absence of conflict. Let me say that again. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is knowing who is next to you in the storm. Peace is that whatever storm you're going through, you've yielded your life to Jesus Christ, and he is there with you because he's the prince of peace. I mean, kids know this. I knew this with my dad. If I was walking into a tough situation as a kid, oftentimes I didn't even know how scary it was. There were times that we were out in our little 12-foot aluminum boat out in the North Atlantic with a little 9.9 Evinrude engine when the waves and the gas going low. Very scary situation. I think back and I go, how do we get in from that? 
But my dad was driving that little... Know what I was doing? I was up in the front, hanging over the edge, going, "Wee! this is fun. I had peace in my heart, even though I could have died that day. Because my dad had his hand on the helm. See, that's what faith is. Faith is that handle that we trust. We know who God is. And wherever we are, I don't need to worry about it because God is in control. God is in control every step of the way. See, Jesus never avoided conflict. Jesus always led his people through the conflict. This is why Paul keeps coming back, and he keeps saying this over and over again, that our freedom, how do we have freedom? Freedom is by faith. Freedom is by faith. This was our memory verse today. What is it? I have been crucified with Christ. Think about that. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And now this life that I live in the body, I live by faith. So we live in the flesh, but we're living by faith because I've been crucified by Christ, and I no longer live. Dwayne no longer lives. When Dwayne tries to resurrect and take control, we need to be very, very concerned. Because as a follower of Christ, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. And the life that I now live in the flesh, because I have this flesh, I live by faith. It's all through Jesus. And I love how this verse ends. Of Jesus Christ who loves me. Put your hand over the heart and just say that. But Jesus Christ who loves me. He loves me. He loves you. And if you've never experienced the love of Christ, keep your hand over your heart. And just invite him. Say, Jesus, reveal your love to me today. Reveal your love to me. I'm so confused, so broken, so hurt. The walls are big, but God, tear those walls down in our lives today that we can experience the love of Christ. That's what you died for. That's what we live for. So I've been crucified by Christ, and I no longer live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus Christ, who loves me and gave his life for me. This is real. This is not theory. This is not made up. The historical data on this is immense. And if that's new for you and you want to find out more about it, I have wonderful books for you. I'd love to sit down and talk with you about it. But this has been proven over and over and over again. Jesus, our Savior, reveal your love to us today. See, we're, we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. And I think why Paul was so determined in this is because Paul knew the law. He was a Jew. He persecuted people for not obeying the law. But see, Paul knew that the law cannot justify a person, that just possessing the law does not justify you. Possessing the law, it only obligates to, 
and places you in that yoke of bondage and slavery. This is what he says in Galatians 5.1. It's possessing Christ. This is what justifies us. This is what immediately calls us righteous in his sight. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone. See, the law shows us how far we are from God. 613 laws. 613 laws. And then they added more laws to those to tell you how to obey those laws. Can you remember 613 laws? I can't even remember the combination from my YMCA locker. (laughs) Another confession. My wife does, so I just give her a call. There's no way that we can do it. See, the law shows us how far we are, but the gospel reveals to us the intent of God to be alive in us. This is why Jesus says, I now call you friends. Why? Because he's revealed to us the will of the Father, the intent of the Father. He's alive in us, transforming us. This is what the gospel is. This is our life through Christ. Many have called this the great exchange, where we exchange our sinful life for Jesus. I exchange my life, my messed up, broken life for Jesus Christ. There's a big difference in me. Dwayne without Jesus is very different than Dwayne with Jesus. Whatever you think of me, I'm a lot better than I was. But it's only through Christ. I have no pride in that because it's only through Jesus. It's the great exchange. Isaiah 61 reveals that Jesus gives us beauty for our ashes. He gives us strength for our fear. He gives us joy for mourning. And even there it says the oil of joy. You know what oil does? It covers and coats everything. Have you ever tried to wash oil off something? It's very difficult, isn't it? That's the joy of the Lord that he pulls over us. It's that oil of joy for our mourning when we are sad, when we're downcast, when we are hurt. He says, I'm going to pour the oil of joy over you. You may still be in the storm, but I'll be with you. I will be with you. And it says that he will give us peace for despair. How many of you are going through a despairing time right now? A hard time, a confusing time. Lean into Jesus. Lean into the power of the gospel. See, Jesus, he lives in us. And he empowers us to live the life that he spoke of in John 10, 10. Where he says, that I've come to give you life to the full. To the full. It is full. This is the life of Jesus. But there's a cost to it. And some of you may be saying, oh, here it comes. Here's where the shoe drops. But there's a cost to everything. See, freedom's cost is what we've been memorizing today. Freedom's cost is what we've been talking about. Freedom's cost is what we've been quoting. Freedom's cost is Galatians 2.20. Say it with me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live In the flesh. Mm. Say that again. I have been crucified with Christ. I who live, but Christ who lives. 
and the life I now live. Faith. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. In my prayer time this morning, I just kept saying that over and over again. And fresh and anew, I kept saying, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives within me. This is the cost. And dying to ourselves is hard. Because when we die to ourselves, what are we doing? We're giving up control. We're giving up control. And this is very hard. See, when we try to control things in our lives, when we say, I'm a fully devoted, committed follower of Jesus, when we try to take control in our life, we are taking steps to remove God from our lives. Because God doesn't share his throne, his position with anyone. And you should be very thankful that God doesn't share his throne with Dwayne. It is God and God alone. See, there's only one leader in our lives, and it's God, and we do this by faith. And see, while faith is a supernatural gift from God, it is also very logical. Do you believe that this morning? See, faith, it's supernatural, but I've met people who have said, you know, Dwayne, that's just a crutch for you, or that's just, you just lean into that, and that's just a cop-out. That's just a way that you can kind of psychologically walk through and be able to deal with things, because following God is totally illogical. And I'm like, really? When you really think about who God is, I find a lot of logic in that. And what I've found is that faith and reason are not enemies of each other. See, our problem is not that we think too much, Our problem is often that we think too little. We think too shallow. Because when you look at the wonders of God, you will be amazed. Think about it. When it comes to controlling my life, does it make more sense for me to trust God, who knows everything, made everything, sees everything, is the full possessor of truth? Or does it make more sense for me to trust Dwayne? Working it out. Dwayne doesn't know everything. Sorry, honey. Dwayne doesn't see everything, though my kids think I do. Dwayne is not the full possessor of everything that's going on in life. Only God is. Dwayne is still trying to figure things out. Dwayne is still trying to work things through. Dwayne is still that work in process. I've been justified, declared righteous through Jesus Christ, but now I've entered into sanctification where God is walking that out day by day, bit by bit. And there's days I walk very well, and there's days that I stumble. Anybody else here stumble? Right? But what do I do? I call it to Jesus. And he picks me up, and he walks me through, and he forgives me. So am I going to trust Dwayne or God? Who are you going to trust? I hope so. See, we hand over control in so many areas of our lives, but when it comes spiritually, we have a hard time handing things over to God, don't we? Even though we do it in so many areas of our life. See, there are several areas of my life where I've handed over control. One of the areas that I've handed over control is medically. If I have a problem, I go and see a doctor, and if that doctor says, you need surgery, then I trust her and I allow her to do it. I have never said to a doctor, can you keep me awake during this surgery so I can tell you what to do? (laughs) Have you ever done that? 
But we do that with God, don't we? I've done that with dentists. That's not a slam on the Canadian Dental Society, okay? But there are times that I've had to go see a dentist because I've had a cavity. And I've never said to a dentist, now can you put a little less painkiller in there so I can talk to you throughout this procedure and tell you how to take care of my cavity? Have you ever done that? That would be ridiculous. I've never gone downtown to the skyscrapers that are going up. And I've never gone to the engineers and the architects and said, all right, show me what you're doing. Let me see what's happening. Let's see if I approve of this. That would be disastrous, wasn't it? Because I'm not an engineer. I'm not an architect. I'm not a dentist. I'm not a doctor. So why would I want to take control in the most important part of my life? The control of my soul, the control for eternity. When I'm not willing to do it with my body, with my teeth. It makes total sense to me. It makes total sense to me. I've never gone to a pilot flying the plane and say, tell me your flight plan for the day. That's when people show up and take you away. <laughs> right? We hand over control in so many areas of our life. Why not God? And whether you've been serving him for 75 years or you're on the verge of going, maybe I should. It's the same battle. It's the same lesson, moment by moment, because we hit fear. And so many times God is saying, just go up to the front of that 12-foot aluminum boat. I've got you, Dwayne. Enjoy the ride. I'll get you there. I'll lead you there. I'll tell you. If I need you, I'll pull you back. This is our walk with God. See, this is what it means to be a, a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Christ is the ongoing process of submitting all of life to Jesus. This is Jeff Vanderstelt saying this. And seeing him saturate your entire life and world with his presence and with his power. It's a process of daily growing in your awareness and your need for him in the everyday stuff of life. It is walking with Jesus, being filled with Jesus, and being led by Jesus in every place, in every way. It's the simplicity of the gospel where Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to tell you what to do, but now I'm going to live inside of you. And I'm going to speak to you if you'll let me. I'm going to work this through your life. Because I've called you to walk. I've called you to go. I've called you to disciple your family. I've called you to love your neighbor as yourself. I've called you to lead by serving others. If you're not with Jesus right now, the yoke that is on you is very heavy. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light when we surrender. Amen? Let's all stand this morning. And if today, if you're ready and you want to receive that from Jesus, just lift your hands palmward to heaven. And just say, Lord, I receive from you today. Just do that. That's your heart. Don't worry about what people around you think. It's just you and the Lord right now. Say, Lord, I want to receive. Just, just speak it out. Don't just speak it inside. But Lord, I receive from you. I need you, Jesus.
Lord, show us the areas of our life where we have not yielded to you, where we've not given control to you, our Lord and Savior. Lord, speak to our hearts in the areas that we're confused. Lord, show us the areas where we're being persuaded by friends, friends who we love, that they're pulling us off track just like Peter did. And speak to us, Lord. Bring us back on track to the purity and the simplicity of your word of the gospel as we live for you. As we live for you. Amen. So we've, we've heard the word of God. We've heard the challenge of God. And throughout this time, there may have been things that the Lord has been pointing to you. I want you to take this time to process it and to pray about it. And to step out and to go to one of these people on the side to pray with them and say, you know what, God spoke to me about this. Would you pray to me about this? Would you pray with me about this? I want to invite you to go to our prayer walls and to write it down. If it's for you, a prayer request for you, write that down and say, God, move in my life. I'm having a hard time here or I'm confused here. Or turn to your neighbor, turn to your friends and say, man, this has hit me between the eyes. Would you pray with me? But let's take a few moments to respond to the word of the Lord as the worship team leads us today. Let's be faithful. Let's respond to the Lord.